Hi, this is Nayetta, and you're listening to The Health Show. To The Health Show. And you're listening to The Health Show. And you're listening to The Health Show. The Health Show is a podcast dedicated to connecting individuals to mental health resources in the community. The Health Show is more than a podcast, it's a movement focused on change. Our objectives are to change the perception and visible stigma associated with mental health, remove barriers to mental health resources, address the needs of the underserved and the challenges they face when attempting access mental health resources, spread awareness on how to access mental health resources in the community, and encourage those with mental health diseases to seek help. Um, I want to talk a little bit about PTSD um, and kind of talk about tips on managing trauma um, because trauma is triggering. Call the TT goes hand in hand. You have trauma and then your trauma is triggered and then that's where your reactions come from. So I want to do a poll real quick and then talk a little bit about this PTSD lifetime prevalence with 8.7 Blacks, 7.0 Hispanics, and 7.14 Whites are compared to the trauma exposure for risk. So I want to first go into this poll and then we can talk a little bit about this and then we can move on. So the poll is have you or anyone you know been triggered based on a current event related to racism? Okay I'm going to share the results. So we have 80% that says yes and 20% that says no. So the question was have you or anyone you've known been triggered based on current events related to racism? I would like to take the moment to thank everyone in our listening audience for listening today. We also like to remind everyone that we're a nonprofit organization operating entirely off the generous support of our donors. If you'd like to give to our organization, we appreciate you. You can send your donation to via Cash App, Money Sign the Help Show, or on our website, www.thehelpshow.org. There's no donation too small. Every dollar is given will be strengthening our efforts. If you'd like to donate $1,500 or more and become a VIP sponsor, then you have some additional back, uh, packages listed on our website. And you can visit www.thehelpshow.org for more details. So, Dr. O, when you saw the 80% that said yes, okay, that they've been triggered, and then you said, then you saw the 2%, the 20% that said they have not what were your thoughts my recollection of the george floyd video the bone chilling moment for me was when it plugged into humanity hearing him saying mama i'm through him calling out for his mama because there's not a race there's not a creed there's not an ethnicity there's not an orientation that doesn't respect their mother and if that part of that video alone didn't trigger you, it's kind of hard to understand how that couldn't happen. And I agree, you know, you know, understand, I didn't watch the whole video until last week. Hearing that last week almost had me in tears. That touches every ounce of what it means to be human, which is love. I would expect it to be higher. But you have to understand that when you're talking about maintaining self-care, you have to recognize your boundaries. And for me, that boundary for a lot of people is, I just can't watch it. Hmm. I don't want to watch it. Right. Because when when I saw that George, I, I did take a look at it. I, I did get enough guts to, to look at it. Um, I feel that that was the trigger from the trauma that has been happening with society. 
before George Floyd, there was Ahmaud Arbery, there was Breonna Taylor, there was Eric, Eric Garner, there was Tamir Wright, there was Tori. There was, there's so, so, so many um, instances that this footage has been caught on, on tape, social media. <clears throat> but I think that when he called out for his mother and when you saw his life taken from him with the foot on his neck, I think it talked to, I think it spoke to every race. I think it spoke to people of color. I think it spoke to white people because at the end of the day, no matter what race you are, if you're a mother, you're a mother. I'm not a mother, but I could just imagine being a mother. You know, and I, Dr. Um, Anderson, I, I, I want to get your impact on that because what was what happened to George Floyd was despicable. But I think, I think what really triggered is when he when this man called out for his mother. Yeah. Well, I, I am a mother, and I think um, because of that, I, I still haven't watched the video. I can't watch another one. I, I just, I can't. Don't, and, don't watch it, and I And I won't. And, and I'm resolved that I won't. I've seen enough of the still images to know that I just can't watch it. And so you have to, to Dr. O's point, be aware of what you need to do in order to protect your peace. And for me, that's what it was. And, you know, him calling out for his mother, I am a mother, right? And so I can't imagine having any person's child be in that position and calling out for them and, and not being able to be there. So, unfortunately, you know, to your point, you would think that it would have that sort of impact with all people, but it didn't. Hmm. There are people who have joked about it. Yeah. There are people who have uh, recreated it hmm. and posted it. Yeah. Uh, and so what you're talking about, to Dr. O's point again, is humanity. And that's what we have to, to get back to. It's interesting because when you talk about triggers, just last night, this is something that's a daily occurrence. You know, I have friends and, and clients that are leaders in their organizations, and I mean at the top. And one of them called me last night, and you know, I was just expecting it to be a normal call. And I said, hey, how's it going? You know, I know you're doing some important work at your organization, how's it going? And he began to sob hmm. on the phone. And he said, I can't take another one. Hmm. He had just saw the information about Elijah McClain. And I had to just let him sit there for about 15 minutes and sob it out. Yeah. He just couldn't take, take any more. He's like, when are they going to get it? When are they going to see us? What do we need to do to protect ourselves? And I think that's where a number of people are at this point. Some of the strongest among us are at a point to where we have to give words to what we're feeling. And we have to just let, we have to let, let the emotion come forward because we haven't for a long time. Like I said, we've been conditioned to carry on, but we can't do that anymore. Absolutely. We got to talk about it. Because what I've seen is the emotional stress has shifted into the culture. How we're actually expressing how we feel, um, how, um, how the stress in impacts how we interact with people, um, how we view ourselves, how we, um, react to everyday occurrences and relationships with our friends and families and more. Dr. Rogers, do you want to 
um, speak speak on anything about that about the emotion. You know, I, I, I was I was listening to you about things going into you know our culture, and I was thinking about you know growing up the number of incidents that happened with the police, the number of people who died suspiciously that nobody ever dealt with. Um, you knew the person had been killed. You knew the person didn't end up in the woods and shoot themselves. Um, there were all these mysterious things that happened, but people didn't have a way of dealing with it. And I think what is really striking about the current incidents that we're seeing is it really is an intergenerational trauma that's beginning to happen because there are a number of people who are older than me who recalls a different life. I mean, I'm 55 years old and I can still remember seeing a Klan rally in South Carolina. Um, I can still recall going into you know, a doctor's office where there was the white waiting room and the black waiting room. And I can still remember the night they tried to integrate high schools in my town and the black high schools burned down. And so if at my age, you can recall those kinds of things, I can only imagine the generation above me. And I think of how that then has affected my parenting. So as a parent, I was always really hard-nosed on when my son was going out at night, knowing exactly where he was, when he was coming home, and almost being the person who tracked him um, in all kinds of ways. My daughter calls me paranoid. Um, but I think it's just because you recognize the crazy things that happen in our world and have happened in our world. And I think for one of those periods of time, we've seen the sheets pulled back. But we've seen the sheets pulled back before. I mean, we saw the sheets pulled back in the 60s. Um, we saw the sheets pulled back in the early 70s. Um, there, so there's been times when every generation has experienced what we've experienced. We just happen to have video evidence that it's occurring. Um, and it's maybe affecting other people. And we're seeing it on the news a lot more than we would have heard about it or seen about it in the past. But that trauma's always been there. Um, and it's always affected us in ways that sometimes we can explain and sometimes it's just part of our DNA that's there. I think the biggest thing about trauma is the lack of justice that happens when it's relayed. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about the fact that having an open casket for Emmett Till and actually seeing the effects of trauma, you know, you're two generations removed the very same people, his mother, his uncle, his father, the child of his mother and father and relative of his uncle, went on to become, become the governor of Mississippi. And it comes down to, you know, when I see kids, you know, the biggest thing that can start a fight amongst kids is the issue of fairness. And so we have our childlike instinct to fight because we readily recognize that the way you treat me isn't fair. And you won't treat somebody that has the same action that's racially opposed to me. It's not fair. 
And so when we recognize that our thoughts of fairness is threatened each and every day, we relate to a childlike state to where we just want to fight. I want to be able to, I will also, I want to be able to talk about the different populations that have been impacted differently. Um, Dr. O and Dr. Angela. Um, the populations in the Southern sector. So Dr. Rogers, okay, so you guys have different, different populations, okay? So have you guys seen a different perspective or, or action with people's behavior in the population that you live and what's going on with, with, with all this race, with all this racism? I think from the viewpoint of uh, Memphis, it's a little different because of, you know, the makeup of the population here in Memphis, we're over 60% African-American as a city. Correct. It's still very separate. You have different parts of town where different people live. And so you interact, of course, because that's the way society is designed. But I think the experience here is a little bit different because of that. It is a majority black uh, city, which means our police force is also majority black. So the experience, I think, is probably a little bit different here in comparison to some of the other places in the South, um, even as close as Nashville, where different demographic better? makeup is different. Do I think it's better? Is it different better? Well, I think Memphis is really, it's different, right? It's, it's, it's a different type of situation because a lot of the people who are on the police force here grew up in the city. Mm. And so Memphis is a very close-knit town. Like everybody kind of knows one another you went to school with each other or you knew somebody who went to school. And so a lot of the people that are serving the community here, they have a love for the community that they serve, but I don't think that's the norm, right? I just had this conversation not too long ago. So usually you're, you're guaranteed to at least have one person in common with pretty much everybody you see in the city, which I think uh, lends itself to a different sort of existence. I think that, you know, living in the South is a really interesting thing. Um, because there's so many, so many things that have happened um, over time. I think about growing up hearing the story of, of Reese Taylor. So how many folks are, you know, really knowledgeable of who, of who she was? So she was a young lady back in the 40s that was walking to church, um, and a group of four white guys stopped and raped her. Um, Police decided not to press any press any charges at the time because they said she was a prostitute. Um, we gave her some money, and therefore it wasn't it wasn't rape. And so they sent a young lady called Rosa Parks to really investigate Reese's murder or Reese's rape, which is really what began to launch the civil rights movement in Alabama. And so I think the South has this very, very rich history of communities kind of similar to what Angela was talking about with Memphis that takes on this community kind of flavor. The problem is in a lot of Southern cities, what you get is really two cities in one. So there's the black city and there's the white city. So if I'm in most places in South Carolina, yeah, I know people in black in that particular city and I identify with them. And there's another city that I'm not going to be welcomed into that's only a few blocks from where I am. And it's that kind of intersection that I think you're starting to see in situations across 
many places in our country. And I think that George Floyd was one of those times that we see that really transcended, like we were talking about before, that two-city state, that now both cities kind of saw the same thing in the same way, which we don't often see. So if you have... You mean mean that white coat don't get you in those doors? (laughs) That white coat don't get you in those doors? All that exists is this black guy that just happens to be there that looks threatening. Um, and so it, it gives you a certain degree of paranoia, just kind of like processing and thinking about this. My PTSD now is what happens with my son. Uh, my son, who's, you know, 6'4", weighs about 320, was a, was a lineman on the football team. I'm paranoid every day with what happens with, with him. And you try to do everything you can to keep him safe. But I'm sure if you talk to him about me right now, he would tell you my dad is paranoid. You mean to tell me they cheer for him on the field, but don't cheer for him off the field? (laughs) Go figure, right? So with that being said, um, I'm going to give the floor to Dr. Angela Anderson. We're going to talk about some tips in managing trauma because, you know, um, we have to be able to cope with this. We have to be able to go uh, move on with life and to the best of our ability. So I'm going to give um, the tips in managing trauma, Dr. Angela. Of course. So no problem. You have a few up here, and then we talked about some additional ones. I think uh, the difference in what we see now is that the goal isn't to just move on, but it's to try to move on better than we were, right? And so to try to put some things in place where we can cope and deal with some of the stressors and triggers and traumas that we've all experienced, So one of the ones that you had on here was taking it one day at a time, which is important because sometimes that's all we can really take at once. It's just to do our best to get through that day. I think it's critical to your point that you have on here that you consider talking about your feelings. Just like the example that I told you about my neighbor, she didn't discuss it for decades. And when she did, it all came flooding. So I think finding people or places where you're comfortable or can grow comfortable having these conversations about your emotions is critical. Um, even down to what you eat, I'll add into this particular area, you're sleeping, because I, I've had a lot of people say that their sleep patterns have been disturbed. They can't rest. Their minds won't allow them to rest because they're processing the things that they see um, in the media or through their friends or um, that matter. And then, of course, I like how you phrase this when you said consider whether you're living your best life, which is Are you really taking the time to evaluate how negativity shows up in your life, right? So these are some that we see, you know, quite often, but some others that I will offer, you know, is to tap into your support system. If you don't have one, work on developing your support system. Uh, Practicing self-care is important. You can read, you can journal, you can take a nap, you can listen to music, um, you can call friends and family and connect if you've not been doing that. Um, find a, a way to, to serve. You know, this is a way to serve. So f- for me, I guess I'll speak for myself, having these sort of conversations and putting information out that's helpful to other people is also helpful for me. Help me process what I'm seeing, right? And so finding ways to give back. And if all else fails, take some quiet time. Just take some time to be quiet and reflect and think about what you're feeling and give yourself the space to be able to feel whatever that is. 
um, and process through it. So that's just, of course, a very high level. But I think these are all tips that people can put in place immediately. Absolutely. And so also, um, we're going to do um, our poll for question. But then also, I put some resources, um, some free resources. So I have um, a couple pages of resources. What you what you guys see now, I have NAMI help Helpline can be reached on Mondays. I have Anxiety, Depression, Association of America. I have a crisis text line. I have Black Emotional and uh, Mental Health. Um, on another one, I have, um, you can go to our resources and on, on the help show, I mean, thehelpshow.org. And we have probably over 325 free resources. So this is just some of them. I'm going to go with question four, then we're going to wrap this up and get into q and I'm really excited about this Q&A, so I hope you hope everyone has their um, their questions ready. Before um, you do that, Nyetta, before you move to that, there was something that came up in the chat. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Also important to make sure that people are regulating their exposure to the media right now. Yeah, absolutely. And place some boundaries about how much you um, are watching, listening to of the media and that includes social media as well so i think it's important to also add that thank you dr lee yeah thank you dr lee. that is important I'm, actually i'm taking um next month off in july 30 days off of social media so that is very important i do preach i do practice what i preach <laughs> absolutely um so let's go to question poll question four how would you personally make a positive contribution towards society or an individual let me just launch the poll individual who has been triggered by recent racial tensions. So would you speak up when you see something unethical? Would you help people around you? Would you contribute to civil society or all the above? We're gonna share the results. You got, so what do you guys think? Of course everybody's gonna say all the above, but I, I really like speak up when you see something unethical. I think that's so important because sometimes you can contribute as a civil society and help people around you. But if you truly speak up when something is you know, unethical. I think that that can kind of help. That's the same as help people around you contribute to civil society. So now I think I want to get into Q&A because we're kind of rolling over the time. It's been over an hour. It's about an hour. So we got to wrap this thing up. So I'm going to open up the floor for Q&A. I'm going to read one question that I do see from a young lady. Her name is Nicole Smith. She said, can a person have triggers or experience symptoms of PTSD based on events they see in the media. Um, Dr. Dr. O? Definitely. I mean, that's what we were speaking to now is the fact that it doesn't have to be an overt trigger for something that directly happened to you. It can be a hidden trigger for something that's happened to your community or your sense of humanity. So, you know, if I can't say anything else, the trigger for me was hearing a guy, because I think George Floyd came out in the early 90s of high school, at Jack Yates High School in Houston. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he ended up going to go play in, uh, college basketball in Florida with um, some of my college teammates. So they knew him personally, but speaking to them now, not even just knowing him, but hearing him call out for his mama, hmm. 
has been the most memorable trigger for all of the events that have happened. Absolutely. You know, it has hit home for me more than anything else. So, yes, social media can be triggering and you have to limit its effectiveness because the effectiveness of social media is to you know, introduce negative bias because we're, the things that are most memorable to us are the negative events around us that we're actually televised. Hmm. Um, Dr. Um, Dr. James Lee also said, he said, um, please speak on fatigue and how it can affect us through generations. Please speak on what? Please speak, speak on fatigue and how it can affect us um, through generations. Well, not just uh, physical fatigue, but mental fatigue. You know, when you have mental fatigue, you make mistakes. When you have mental fatigue, you don't have concentration. You're on a sharp of mind. But that mental fatigue and physical fatigue combined leads to stress-related illnesses. And recognize that all causes of stress take out about 9 to 12 years off your age. If you rate yourself as highly stressed. I think one of the things, you know, in reference to fatigue as well, as we continue to experience these triggers over and over again, we have to consciously fight um, this desire to regress. Hmm. I think a lot of people just want to pull back. They just want to go into a quiet space. They just want to make it all go away for a while, right? Well, how does that work when you have a family or when you're responsible for a family? And so it's important that we address and speak to our fatigue, but also that we try to put things in place to uh, deal directly with it because that doesn't help that person. It doesn't help the people connected to them, but it's a real response because I think I'm hearing a lot of people talk about this feeling of helplessness Absolutely. or fear to Dr. Rogers point with his son. I hear a lot of parents having that same conversation right now. And so things like this, conversations like this, we have to continue to have them and fight that, that desire or that tendency to just want to pull back. We, we got to keep our foot on the gas. It relates back to what the late great Dr. Carl Bell said. Risk factors are predictive factors without protective factors. And so even though the color of our skin is a risk factor, hmm. the predictive factor is, is that a lot of the people that are having transgressions toward people of color have bias. But protective factors are the fact that you have loving and kind parents who are trying to pro pro provide you the information to kind of help you avoid it. But guess what? They can't protect you when they can't see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's where the anxiety comes from is no matter how well you are taught to avoid the situation, no matter how well you are taught to de-escalate somebody else, you can't control somebody else's behavior, period. Even when they're supposed to be from a level of authority. Absolutely. I'm sorry, we're, we're running out of time. I want to thank everybody for attending the podcast. Um, want you guys to know your opinion is important to us, so fill out the evaluation form. It only takes a couple minutes. Just scan on the code with your smartphone. So 
if you can, if you have a smartphone, you can actually scan it and you can get the survey um, now. And this is 10 easy questions and um, you can be on your way. So we really, really appreciate everybody for attending. Ms. Ms. Jones, make sure you please um, email me so I, your address so I can send you this book um, autographed by um, Dr. Um, Dr. Lee that was online. I mean, that was on the call. So thank you so much, everybody. You guys be safe out here. Be kind, <laughs> you know, and I will see um, my listening audience um, in August. Also, the help show will be taking a month off. We do need to um, take a to take a breather. So being on social media a lot has actually kind of drained me a little bit. So I really, really need to um, take some time off. <laughs> honestly so i will see everybody um in august and thank you so much for listening to the help show helpline seek help when needed if distress impacts activities of your daily life for several days or weeks talk to your clergy member counselor or doctor or contact samsa helpline at 1-800-985-5990 the crisis worker will work to ensure that you feel safe and help identify options and information about mental health services in your area. Your call is confidential and free. Crisis text line, text NAMI to 741-741. Connect with the trained crisis counselor to receive free 24-7 crisis support via text message. This podcast is produced by Nyetta Reynolds, Ben Fenton, Nicole Smith, and Davian Abney. To get your very own beats, email music at gmail.com. The Help Show is a nonprofit organization. To learn more or donate, please visit www.thehelpshow.org or you can also cash app money sign the help show to send your donation. There's no donation too small. Every dollar we receive will strengthen our efforts. If you'd like to donate 1500 or more and become a VIP sponsor, visit www.thehelpshow.org to review additional packages with more detail. That's www.thehelp show.org follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at the help show remember to subscribe to the podcast please leave comments we want to know what you think thank you for listening and please stay tuned